The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Nia Griffith. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Nia Griffith. Uh, the Prime Minister frequently claims that he is not complacent about the tragedy of youth unemployment. So can he tell the House why his youth contract scheme still has not started? Well, the youth contract scheme is going to make a big difference to young people because it will, over the course of the coming years, have 160,000 places for people on private sector firms, and that will be far better than the failed Future Jobs Fund, which in some cases had over 97% of its jobs placed in the public sector. It will be up and running this year and it will make a big difference to young people. Mrs Eleanor Lang. Today is the anniversary of the birth of the great Scottish poet Robert Burns. Does the Prime Minister agree with Burns' impassioned plea for the unity of our nation when he says in his poem The Dumfries Volunteers, Be Britain still to Britain true, among ourselves united, for never but by British hands may British wrongs be righted. Well, I'm grateful to the Honourable Lady for her question. And the point, the point she makes is a good one. And Burns Night will be celebrated not just across Scotland, but across the whole of the United Kingdom and indeed in many parts of the world. And when I hear the Scottish nationalists who are so keen to leave the United Kingdom, yet so anxious about having a referendum, perhaps they should remember Burns's words, which he referred to the wee, sleek it, cowering, timorous beastie. Oh, what a panic's in thy breastie. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, we are 18 months into his government and today's figures show our economy is not growing, is shrinking. What's gone wrong with his economic plan? Prime Minister. Well, these are extremely difficult economic times. These are, these are disappointing figures. They're not unexpected figures. They're what the Office of Budget Responsibility forecast, a small decline in GDP at the end of last year. But I'll be frank with the Honourable Gentleman. I think they reflect three things. They reflect the overhang of the debt and the deficit that we have to deal with. They reflect the higher food and fuel prices that put a squeeze on household income towards the end of last year. And yes, they also reflect the crisis in the Eurozone that has frozen Europe's economies. The forecasts for France, for Germany, for Spain, for Italy, for the end of last year, forecast as great a decline, or in many cases, a greater decline. This is the year we have to take further action to get our economy moving. But the most important thing is have a credible plan to get on top of the deficit, which has given us the lowest interest rates for over 100 years. Mr Speaker, people are fed up with his excuses about what is happening in our economy. And, and, 
and he blames the Eurozone. Growth has been flatlining in our economy since well before the Eurozone crisis. In fact, since his spending review in autumn 2010. And what has characterised, Mr Speaker, the government's approach throughout this period? Total arrogance. Total arrogance. In his first budget, the Chancellor painted a glowing picture of what his policies would deliver for our economy. He, he said this. He said that his policies would deliver a steady and sustained economic recovery with falling unemployment. We have a shrinking economy and the highest unemployment in 18 years. Mr Speaker, how bad do things have to get in our economy to shake him out of his complacency? As usual, he writes the question before he listens to the answer. I didn't just, I didn't just say this is an issue of the Eurozone. It is an issue of debt and deficit. It's an issue of squeezed household incomes, issues that are affecting many other economies. He talks about what our policy is. We remember what his policy was. No more boom and bust. And yet he gave us the biggest boom and the biggest bust that we are having to recover from. There is not one ounce of complacency. That is why we are cutting corporation tax, we scrap Labour's job tax, we've introduced the enterprise zones, we're investing record sums in apprenticeships. Order. Both the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition must be heard. The Prime Minister. We are doing all of these things, but the party opposite has only one answer, and that is to deal with a debt crisis by borrowing more and adding to debt. That is his answer. That would wreck our interest rates, wreck our economy, and make things much worse. Speaker, he says there's not one ounce of complacency, but he and his Chancellor are but the byword for self-satisfied, smug complacency, and that is the reality. And he, he talks about borrowing, Mr Speaker. He's failing not just on unemployment, not just on growth, but on borrowing as well. Because of his failure on growth and unemployment, he's borrowing £158 billion more than he forecast. And now we know. He said unemployment would fall. It isn't. He said our economy would grow. It hasn't. He said we're all in this together. We're not. When will this Prime Minister face up to the fact it is his policies that are failing our country? Our economy grew last year, but he can't, he can't find it in himself. There are more people, there are more people in work today than there were at the time of the last election. But we were given. The House must calm itself. We'll hear the Prime Minister. We were given a very clear instruction yesterday. At five o'clock in the afternoon, the Shadow Chancellor said the government should listen to the IMF and change course. At seven o'clock in the evening, the IMF told us what we should do. They said this. We do not think that fiscal consolidation adds to the problem. Fiscal consolidation is part of resolving the problems facing the UK economy. That is the truth, Mr Speaker. There are two parties in this country taking responsibility for clearing up the mess. There is one party refusing to take responsibility for causing the mess. Mr David Ruffley. Sir Fred Goodwin has recently been censured by the FSA in their report into the RBS shambles. 
Can the Prime Minister tell the House when the Honours Forfeiture Committee will be sitting to consider stripping this man of his ill-deserved knighthood? Well, the Forfeiture Committee will be meeting, as I understand it, this week, uh, and it will be considering all of the evidence, including, as I've said before, the Financial Services Authority report into RBS and what went wrong and who was responsible for what went wrong. Mr Angus Brendan McNeil. Well, Mr Speaker, seems to get more reaction from Labour, SNP get more reaction from Labour than their own leader does. Uh, does the Prime Minister agree that in Scotland the people are sovereign and therefore for improvement they have the right to determine their own constitutional future as they see fit. Of course, this is an issue for the people of Scotland and I think we should bring forward the date when we put the question to the Scottish people of whether they want to stay in the United Kingdom, which I dearly hope that they do, or whether they want to leave the United Kingdom. But I think the point that everyone needs to understand is that options for further devolution, options for changes across the United Kingdom, are matters for all of the United Kingdom and matters that all of the United Kingdom should rightly discuss. Sir Peter Tapsell. May I I put it to the Prime Minister that for Britain to commit still more funds to the IMF would in effect be providing a subsidy to Germany because it is still not fully supporting its own currency while benefiting from its depreciation. The Honourable, the Right Honourable Member makes uh, an important point and of course uh, the IMF uh, Managing Director Christine Lagarde is in London today. Our message has been very clear that there shouldn't be a question of committing further IMF funds until the Eurozone itself has shown that it's comprehensively going to stand behind its own currency. And I think if you read uh, Christine Lagarde's speech last night in Germany, she made uh, absolutely clear that the role of the IMF is to support countries and not currency zones, and this government supports that position. Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, last September the Prime Minister said about his flagship health bill, and I quote, we have the Royal College of GPs, the physicians, the nurses, people working in the health service, supporting the changes we're making. Can the Prime Minister give the House an update on the support for his bill from the medical profession? I've certainly learned that um, that when it comes to the NHS, you should always expect a second opinion, um, or conceivably even a third opinion. But the point is this: there are thousands, there are thousands of GPs, there are thousands of GPs across the country, not just supporting our reforms, they are actually implementing our reforms. Let me, let me, if I may, let me give him, let me give him just one example of a supportive GP. He happens... Order! Honourable members shouldn't be yelling out. The question was asked, the answer will be given, and the answer will be heard. The Prime Minister. I I think they want to hear from this one particular GP who hails from Doncaster. He... ah, 
He's the, the, he, he said this when he was the acting chairman of the Doncaster GP commissioning group, and he said this, he said becoming one of the first national pathfinder areas is a real boost for Doncaster. Well, I think what is good for Doncaster is good for the rest of the country too. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, how out of touch is he about what is happening in the NHS? Let me tell him, let me tell him, let me tell him what the medical profession is saying. The latest survey of the Royal College of GPs says that 98% of GPs want the bill withdrawn and the Royal College of Nursing have said, and I quote, the turmoil of proceeding with these reforms is now greater than the turmoil of stopping them. Now, the Prime Minister said in his famous listening exercise, change, if it is to endure, to really work, should have the support of people who work in our NHS. We have to take our nurses and doctors with us. Mr Speaker, if he wants to hear the voice of doctors and nurses across our NHS, why doesn't he listen? Prime Minister, he he, he seems to be out of touch with what's actually happening in Doncaster. (laughs) (laughs) Let me... Let me... He he asks, he asks what is happening in the NHS. Let me tell him what is happening in the NHS. 4,000 extra doctors since the election. 100,000 more patients treated since the election. Inpatient and outpatient waiting times lower than they were at the election. £7 billion of the £20 billion already saved. And at the same time, we've got hospital-acquired infections at the lowest ever levels. That is what is happening in the NHS. And if we listen to him, we'd be cutting the spending in the NHS, scrapping reforms of the NHS, and the NHS would be getting worse, not better. Tell him what's happening in the the NHS. Waiting lists up, morale down, and his own Health Select Committee, Majority Conservative Health Select Committee, what do they say about his reorganisation? They say, and I quote, that it will be disruption and distraction that hinders the ability of organisations to release savings. Let's be frank, Mr Speaker, this is a bill nobody wants. It's opposed by the doctors, the nurses and the patients. Now, before the election, he said no more top-down reorganisation. That's what he said. Isn't it time he kept at least one promise? Put aside his pride and arrogance and drop this unnecessary and unwanted bill. I know that he panics and backs down at the first time of a trade union saying no, but this government doesn't. Of course, if you introduce choice, if you introduce transparency, if you introduce competition, if you say that the private and voluntary sectors should play a greater role, of course you face a challenge. But that is what doing the right thing is sometimes all about. Now let him remember, let him remember what his health secretary said when he was in government. He said about GP commissioning, he said this. The change will put power in the hands of local GPs to drive improvements in their area so it should give more power to their elbow than they have at present. That is what I would like to see. What a shame they talk about it in government, but they haven't got the guts to face down opposition when they're in opposition. Sir Robert Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Following the death of 167 workers in the Piper Alpha disaster in the North Sea, This country developed a world-leading safety case regime for offshore oil and gas, which is now threatened by regulations from the European Union. 
Will he use his best endeavours to back his Department of Energy and Climate Change in persuading the rest of the European Union that what we need is a, a no more regulation, but a de uh, <laughs> <laughs> Referendum. But Sorry, Mr. Speaker. No, not regulation, but a directive which can be implemented flexibly. The Prime Minister, I think my honourable friend makes a very important point. I well remember the Piper Alpha disaster and the huge suffering and loss of life that that caused. Since that day, we have put in place, I think, an absolutely world-leading system of regulation. And I will do everything I can to support the Climate Change Secretary to make sure that we get a result in Europe that means we can go on with the right regulations for the North Sea. Mr William Bain. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On the 2nd of May 2010, the Prime Minister said the test of a good society was how it cared for the frail and the vulnerable, even more important in difficult economic times. Will the Prime Minister not be offending the basic sense of decency of the British people if he persists next week with proposals to take away up to £94 per week in employment and support allowance from up to 7,000 recovering cancer patients across the country? But what our plans envisage is actually more people with cancer will have the greater level of benefit and fewer people will actually face uh, the face-to-face -face interview. That is the case. As he knows, there are two types of employment and support allowance. On the support group, you get that money forever for as long as you need it, as long as you are unable to work. Many people with cancer will go straight into that group and quite right too. Stephen Metcalf. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I know that my right hon. Will friend is aware that the Corriton oil refinery in my constituency went into protective administration yesterday. And while the future is uncertain, it is by no means bleak. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that what is needed now to protect the thousand jobs the refinery provides is the full support of the customers and the suppliers and for accurate reporting of the situation? And will the Prime Minister agree to ensure that I meet with all relevant ministers to discuss what further action the government can take to help secure the of this important business? The Prime Minister. My, my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this issue and is right to mention the importance of the customers and the suppliers and the role that they play, I will certainly make sure that he meets with ministers as appropriate. I think the absolute key thing is the role of the administrator, and the administrator has made it clear that its immediate priority is to continue to operate the refinery operations at Corriton and the other PetroPlus sites in the UK while the financial position is clarified and all the restructuring options are explored. We're confident that the administrator is doing all that it can, but we'll keep on the case. McFadden. Thank you, Mr. Yeah, Speaker. Yeah, yeah. The existing UK controls on the movement of terrorist suspects lapse today. This includes the case of suspect CD, of whom Mr. Justice Owen said at his appeal last year, relocation is a necessary and proportionate measure to protect the public from an immediate and real risk of a terrorist-related attack. Could the Prime Minister therefore tell the House why his government supported that relocation power at the court hearing last year, but has since legislated to remove it and to give freedom to suspect CD and others like him to come to London in the run-up to the Olympic Games. 
I think most people across this House realise that the control order regime needed reform. It did not have public confidence and nor did it have confidence of many people in the police and security services. We have reformed it. We've worked with the police and the security services. We've put in all the resources that they believe are necessary to make sure our country is kept safe. Nigel Adam. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Following the Renewable Energy Subsidy Review, will the Prime Minister assure taxpayers that this government will focus its support on technologies that are cost-effective and reliable, like biomass, rather than inefficient, costly, large-scale onshore wind farms? Well, well, my right honourable friend will know that the Renewable Obligation Banding Review, uh, that consultation has just closed, and it was proposing targeting only the most cost-effective onshore wind farms, recognising that it is now one of the mature and cheaper technologies, and we should, as he says, increase support for an expansion in sustainable biomass generation, which is reliable and cost-effective and will help us to meet our renewable targets. This is Louise Ellman. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Friday, Holocaust Memorial Day commemorates the liberation of the concentration and extermination camp at Auschwitz-Birkenau. What can the Prime Minister do to ensure that all of our society understand the depravity of the era of Nazi evil and learn the lessons for it for the present? Well, I think the Honourable Lady, who has a long record of supporting uh, this cause, speaks for the whole House and the whole nation in raising it and raising the importance of it. I met with representatives of the Holocaust Education Trust yesterday uh, and, and met with a Holocaust survivor whose story was truly inspiring about what he had seen and gone through as a a young boy and then coming to Britain and becoming uh, an Olympic and Commonwealth contender. It was a fantastic story. We need to make sure that these stories are told in all of our schools right across the country. That's the work of the Holocaust Education Trust and it's work I strongly support. Eric Olorenshaw. I wonder if the Prime Minister is aware that if one takes the whole of Lancashire, average household income after tax is a little above 26,000. And yes, while my constituents want a fair deal for those who deserve benefits, they also want a fair deal for those who work and pay for benefits. I think the Honourable Gentleman speaks for for many people when we say that the proposal for a cap on benefits of £26,000 is fair. It is a cap that allows people to receive £500 a day and his constituents and many a week and his constituents and many other constituents ask themselves is it right that my hard-earned taxes when I'm earning less than that money is going to support uh, people on benefits and I have to say how disappointing it was that after the Labour Party said it would support a cap. The announcement was made on the BBC. We were all told they would support a cap, but in the other place they voted against it. What a complete act of hypocrisy. Lisa Nandy. During today's media reports, can the Prime Minister explain why ministerial advisers and senior civil servants continued to attend networking events with lobbyists who paid several thousands of pounds to attend, despite the fact that the Cabinet Office had deemed this to be a breach of the Civil Service Code and had previously issued a ban on attendance. The point I would make to the Honourable Lady is, unlike under the previous government, there actually is a proper system for declaring the interests of special advisers and ministers. That didn't used to be the case. It is now the case. Mr Paul Maynard. My right honourable friend will have noted that the government's proposed benefits cut 
excludes war widows, the disabled, and those claiming working tax credits. Does he not agree with me that my constituents on the same language or wage as a member for, Bro for uh, Lancaster and Fleetwood referred to deserve to know they have a government that is on the side of families <laughs> who do the right thing and support their oh, local communities? I think the Honourable Gentleman speaks very powerfully about this issue. That is why a benefit cap is fair. And it also is very important to recognise that we're excluding from that benefit cap those entitled to working tax credit, households with someone with disability living allowance. And of course, as we've always said, there will be a hardship fund, there'll be a grace period, there'll be a way of helping those families to cope with this cap and to make sure, where possible, we actually get people into work. Because the real shame is that there are so many millions of children who live in households where nobody works, and indeed that number doubled under the last government. Lindsay Roy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has said, and I quote, it would be a personal betrayal if banks failed to increase lending to businesses. Yet last week, the Bank of England stated that businesses are still not getting the investment they need from the banks. Have the banks betrayed the Prime Minister? Or has the Prime Minister betrayed businesses? Uh, well, what I've done is put in place the Merlin Agreement, which actually led to an increase in bank lending last year. And what we now have in place is a massive credit easing programme that the Chancellor announced in the autumn statement that will kick in this year and make sure that banks are doing what banks ought to do in a free enterprise economy, and that is loan to businesses large and small. Mr Bob Stewart. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure there will be families with children that may have difficulties with the new benefit regime. However, would the Prime Minister care to comment on the feelings of elderly couples that have spent their entire life working for this country, paid into the state uh, pension system, and are now existing on about £7,000 a year rather than £26,000 a year. I think my honourable friend makes a very good point. And the fact is that if you look at the figures today, there are still families in London who are receiving housing benefit worth over £50,000 a year. Each one of those families is taking up the hard-earned taxes of many working people earning far less who couldn't dream of living in houses like those. Now, the point he makes about pensioners is right, and I'm proud of the fact that this government will be increasing the basic state pension by £5 a week starting in April because we believe in dignity and security for our pensioners in old age. Chris Ruane. Mr Speaker, what does the Prime Minister make of the National Audits Office slating of his flagship work programme? They say that the government has totally overestimated the number of people it will put, put back to work. This isn't so much a work programme as a doesn't work programme. I think uh, he should, instead of just reading the press release, he ought to read the National Audit Office report. Because actually what it says, it praises the government for inducing, introducing a scheme in such a short period of time. But the basic point that the National Audit Office is making is the work programme is not putting taxpayers' money at risk, it is putting the providers at risk. And that is a different way of doing things. It's about payment by results, it's about getting better performance, it's about value for money, things that his government never 
never provided. Chris Kelly. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Like my honourable friends earlier, many of my constituents in Dudley South work extremely hard for modest salaries. Given that many people think the benefit cap should be set at a lower level than £26,000, does my right honourable friend agree with me that the party opposite is completely out of touch by voting to make it higher. Yeah, yeah. I think my honourable makes a good point. And let me just let me just remind the right honourable gentleman what he said at the beginning of this year. This was January 2012 on the Today programme. I'm not against the cap. And if he's not against the cap, why couldn't he get his Labour peers to vote for the cap in the House of Lords? What is he? Weak, incompetent, or both? On the 14th of December, I asked the Prime Minister about cutting benefits for disabled children, and he replied, and I quote, First of all, we are not cutting benefits for disabled children. I wonder whether since that time he's checked his facts and discovered that on the 12th of December, two days before I asked my question, his coalition members and the Lords voted against the protection of benefits for disabled children under the new universal credit, resulting in a loss of £1,300. So I will give the Prime Minister another go. How does this fit in with we are all in this together? Yeah. I'm afraid the, the, the honourable lady is wrong. The money that is going in, the money that's going into universal credit for the most disabled children is not being cut. She's just plain wrong about that. But isn't it interesting that all of the questions we get from all of the members opposite are always about calling for more spending. They have learned absolutely nothing about the mess they landed this country in. Mr Malcolm Bruce. Mr Speaker, British Airways have announced that they have reached agreement to take over BMI, and although this is being challenged under competition rules, what assurances can the Prime Minister give that the landing slots at Heathrow from regional airports such as Aberdeen will be protected if this is allowed to go ahead? Well, the Honourable Gentleman makes an important point, which I'm sure is important to his constituents as well. I will look into this issue about landing slots. I know how important uh, this issue is for regional airports, and I will get back to him. Mr Mark Hendrick. Um, can I ask the Prime Minister why he wants the NHS hospitals to hand over up to half of their beds to private patients? <laughs> that, that is not what the reforms do at all. What, what the reforms do is ensure that you can have some private sector and voluntary sector activity going on within the NHS. And before, before they all... Why doesn't he... Perhaps the, the Leader of the Opposition should quieten down for a second and listen to what his own Health Secretary said. His Health Secretary said this, the private sector puts its capacity into the NHS for the benefit of NHS patients, which I think most people in this country would celebrate. Again, that is what he said in government, but since they've got into opposition, they've taken up a position of just supporting the producer interest, total irresponsibility, total short-termism. I stand by what you said in 2007. Pity you couldn't stick by it. Of course, it's not my obligation to stick by any of these matters. Pretty Patel. Prime Minister will be aware of the brutal murder last year of my constituent Lee Heath in Germany. The murder trial is set to start in March this year. It's going to last for a good couple of months. Will the Prime Minister make sure that the government will do everything possible to support Lee's mother, Marie Heath, in dealing with the financial costs, the ever-increasing costs that she now faces to seek justice for her son Lee? 
Well, my, my honourable friend is absolutely right to, to raise this case. And first of all, can I offer my sincere condolences to Marie Heath and her family following the tragic death of their son, Lee, last year? I know what a distressing time this will be for them as they travel uh, for, for the trial in Germany. The Foreign Office will do everything it can to support Marie and her family. Uh, I, I have to say I've been quite impressed by what the Foreign Office has done in cases like these. I think they do show a sympathy and understanding, and I'll make sure that this is carried through in this case as well. Stringer. 25% of our constituents suffer from uh, musculoskeletal uh, diseases. The National Audit Office and the Public Accounts Committee uh, believe uh, that we could get better outcomes for these people at lower costs if a clinical director was appointed to coordinate things with in the National Health Service. Will the Prime Minister agree to see charities representing these people with me in the near future? Well, I'll certainly look carefully at the, the case the Honourable Gentleman makes. One of the points that, uh, of the NHS reforms that I think perhaps is not yet fully understood is, is the idea of having the public health budgets properly ring-fenced, properly funded, with properly uh, uh, employed directors of public health in each area, which will actually be able to help uh, with many of these areas. Mr Chris Skidmore. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituents in Kingswood entirely agree with the government's proposed benefits cap. They believe that nobody should earn more in benefits than hard-working families. And does the Prime Minister not agree with me that it is a damn disgrace that the Labour Party are opposing and are trying to wreck this important measure? Order, just moderation in the use of parliamentary language and indeed using parliamentary language is much to be preferred. The Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. But I think my honourable friend makes a very important point. This is an important decision that the House of Commons has got to make. We were told that the Labour Party would support a cap on benefits. They have said that repeatedly, and yet when the challenge comes, they duck the challenge, they refuse to support the cap. They will have another chance when the legislation comes back to this House. It's no good shaking his head. It's no good shaking his head. His own peers voted against the cap in the Lords. People in this country won't understand why they're taking that position. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.